Let's say China. 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 You go over to China. 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 You take China. 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 I love them. China. 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 I have to have my China. Hi ho! Welcome to Inside Mining. Hi ho! A podcast to examine the world of data centers, pools, cloud hash rate, securing blockchain networks, and the future of cryptocurrency. And I am your host, C. Edward Kelso, welcoming you to this episode of Inside Mining, where we're discussing China, its crackdown of May 2021 on the mining industry and what that means, uh, not only immediately, but also going forward. Uh, Before we get too far uh, into the episode, just want to take a second and say thank you to the good folks, uh, our friends out at bitdeer.com, who sponsor the podcast so that we can be ad-free. That's B-I-T-D-E-E-R.com. China has been a large part of the Bitcoin uh, money ecosystem for quite some time now. Uh, basic miners, of course, are manufactured there by and large, with some obvious deviations around the world. Data centers, pools, for years, really. China's had something like two-thirds of the world's hash rate. And the last time China offered a crackdown of, of any kind of similar significance, uh, you might remember if you've been in the industry for a while, uh, was back in 2017 when it was responding to the initial coin offering, the ICO craze at the time. They went, uh, the government did in China, uh, went about crushing exchanges. Really since then, for the last, I guess, three or four years, miners have, have lived in kind of a gray area. I think a lot of them were expecting, just from my interviews and contacts uh, with them over the years, for something to happen. But it never came. So you're, you know, three years, four years is just enough time to lull yourself into a sense of security, I, I would imagine. Uh, by March of this year, though, the government uh, definitely went after miners in places like Inner Mongolia. And some thought maybe the that particular crackdown uh, be over environmental concerns or whatever, as they were trying to appease the international community, would be confined just to Inner Mongolia. And, of course, by the end of May and early June, um, it was obvious that was not going to be the case. What I do remember at the time reading and talking to uh, miners uh, in China and those who have invested within the provinces there is that some were even, you know, kind of skeptical that the ban uh, would be comprehensive. Uh, Remember, again, for years they you know, miners in China had worked with local officials, uh, gathering permits, paying fees, uh, investing in infrastructure, uh, but to no avail. Um, actually, one of the sadder stories uh, that I had heard uh, that was relayed to me in, in a bunch of different uh, formats uh, was how facilities were padlocked and machines were blocked, and you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it was pretty comprehensive. And some were thinking that maybe the larger mining areas, the more kind of corporate mining areas uh, that were providing revenue like uh, Sichuan would maybe be spared because there's obviously a great reliance there on renewable hydro uh, power, which is uh, fueled, of course, by wet seasons and so on. 
but uh, those miners were closed as well. And hash rate fell. <clears throat> hash rate, of course, is significant in the sense that, especially coming from China, uh, the, the, the sort of the um, uh, complaint against having so much hash rate come from China is that, of course, that meant Bitcoin was somewhat centralized. Um, you could make that argument. And it's sort of interesting because that's almost exactly what happened. Um, something like 50% of the Bitcoin network was essentially shut off in late May and early June. But the hash rate falling sort of became a positive for some of the smaller miners, uh, at least in the beginning. Uh, they could climb aboard. It was a little bit easier to find blocks and uh, get that coveted reward. There, there was a sense that it was a good time, and I know mining pools kind of jumped on and said, hey, uh, this is a great time uh, to get involved. What I can't stop thinking about is with all those padlock data centers and you know taped off roped off areas what are they going to do with all those mining rigs uh it kind of boggles the mind to to think about how many of those rigs are sitting idle in china right now as as we're as we're talking of course there are optimists uh that are holding uh to the hope that china might eventually ease uh, even on these may 2021 restrictions and eventually allow some kind of mining to continue i i just don't see it um i could be wrong i'm, I'm notoriously wrong so take that for what it's worth but uh let's just look at it you know kind of logically and deduce uh, what what may be in the offing here just based on what we know anecdotally even if we're not uh, particularly you know having our ear to the ground in china you know the country is on something of an environmental kick as much as China can be with uh, all the um, uh, the need for resources they have. And cryptos like Bitcoin, you know, obviously tend to undermine a great worry for the government uh, beyond the environment, which of course is capital flight. And the last thing you want to do is have your currency compete uh, with something like a decentralized, you know, unconfiscatable, unstoppable uh, cryptocurrency. And of course, um, the news that we you never stop reading about hearing about is the um, central bank uh, the people's bank of china continuing to hammer on their central bank digital currency the digital yuan and that's definitely going to be in the offing very very soon there's already pilot programs all over the place so what does that mean from the environment to capital flight risks to their own central bank digital currency <laughs> uh, it, it means no it's not mining's not going to come back in China uh, that I can see anytime soon. And then can you know kind of consider too what some of the larger miners might do if China were to, for whatever reason, the market crashes or whatever, and they just don't have the the interest in in uh, cracking down anymore. And <clears throat> let's say there's kind of a black or an agro market that pops up in China uh, for miners. We'll just consider all the previous investment. Uh, over the last few years that went into those mining facilities in China. All of that was confiscated in a wink in no time. And, you know, do you really believe that miners are going to want to go through that kind of capricious uncertainty again? I, it's doubtful. It's doubtful. I mean, you may get, you know, bits and pieces, but I, there's no there's no more two-thirds hash rate China scenario ever again that I can see. Um, what is interesting is that the impact the ban is having as that hash rate scrambles for capacity all over the world in places like Texas and even Kazakhstan 
uh, are benefiting from miners uh, on the prowl for capacity. And obviously Central Asia has a geographical advantage, at least immediately if you want to get back up and running over places like the U.S. And it's a lot easier to get back up and running. The U.S. has, of course, and Canada, um, just they're, they're plagued by regulation and permits and it'll take you forever to get started here. Some people have pointed to Latin America as being a possible fit for the future of mining, and I tend to agree, uh, at least on paper. But there are some there are some you know immediate setbacks. Obviously, you know a lot of those areas tend to be hotter climates and more humid, uh, which complicates the cost for data centers uh, setting up quickly. Uh, it's not impossible, uh, but not as cheap as previously thought. What I'm kind of thinking with Latin America, though, if places like El Salvador and Uruguay and some of the others uh, continue to kind of lobby for the, the Bitcoin money uh, to be pouring into an investment uh, like mining to be poured into their uh, their regions, is that it'll put pressure on innovation at the manufacturing level uh, to develop more cooling systems, um, especially like internal rig cooling systems that will kind of solve for that need to always be in a cooler cooler area um, so that's going to be interesting to watch and that's again a fallout of um, having the china ban and, and i think that will eventually drive drive innovation and that doesn't mean that china's out of the game um, obviously a lot of its expats uh, a lot of the leaders in bitcoin and cryptocurrency generally are chinese and uh, the many of them have a foot both in the uh, uh, their home countries and in places like Singapore and around the world. Uh, there's also uh, China is still uh, the leader in ASIC manufacturing. And to be honest with you, I you know, there's just so much manufacturing experience in China and a lot of brilliant people there that uh, these machines are just going to get better and better, more efficient and more cost effective. And again, with places like Latin America, and others around the world kind of driving that innovation, the, the need for cooling systems internally, all the envir environmental regulations that are coming not only in China, but uh, throughout the West. Um, I think you're going to see China kind of pivot from uh, was you know, obviously way back in, you know, the start of all this was uh, uh, China as a leading place to, to, to exchange cryptos. That's been crushed. Uh, mining now has been crushed. I think you're going to see uh, manufacturing probably flourish. Uh, but again, <laughs> how long can that last? <laughs> uh, especially if the government sees, you know, even the idea of ASICs um, or, you know, mining rigs as, as a threat. So lastly, some a lot of people have asked because we're an English-based uh, uh, podcast in the West here uh, about mining, um, whether there is any hope for North America gaining um, in this scenario. And of course there is. Uh, obviously, I'm bearish on regulation, but if I'm an industrial, you know, kind of large miner, regulatory clarity, even though it's burdensome and I have to pay X, Y, and Z and uh, so on, um, regulatory clarity is something that North America offers, both Canada and the United States, and they're not nearly as quick on the trigger to ban things. Uh, there's much more transparency and chance for businesses to lobby uh, politicians and change regulations. So North America for sure could become very attractive, and, and I, I do believe it will. You're, you're already seeing more and more mining companies go public, uh, which is um, 
kind of, you know, incredible. Uh, I would have thought it would have been uh, exchanges that would have led the way, but uh, uh, it is instead uh, mining companies. And I think, you know, again, immediately you're not going to see a huge bump in North America, but over the next couple of years, um, look for it. Um, if, uh, if the United States and Canada can get on the, on the ball here and provide some regulatory clarity for the mining industry, you know, and you have in the United States, 50 different states competing uh, for that mining dollar, for that data center dollar, you're going to get a whole lot of scenarios that are attractive to miners. So that's going to do it for this episode. Really appreciate you listening. Uh, do us a favor on your favorite uh, podcast uh, catcher. Give us a like, give us a subscribe, comment, uh, five stars, of course, on iTunes. Uh, we definitely appreciate you listening. Thanks as well, uh, as always, to bitdeer.com, B-I-T-D-E-E-R.com for their sponsorship. And we'll see you next time.